Mark chapter 4, verses 21 to 34. Uh, Let me read it, and then we will go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to bless our time together. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have, will be taken from them. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his own disciples... He explained everything. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, this morning, I ask that you would give clarity to my words. We ask that you would give us ears to hear. And we ask that you would set our eyes and our hearts upon Christ and upon His glory. We pray You would keep us attentive, keep us free from distraction or wandering thoughts, and keep our minds and our ears engaged with Your Word. For it is in Your Word that we have life. And it is through Christ that we come before You. Amen. How well do you listen How well do you listen? One of the evidences that we live in a fallen world is a simple reality that as human beings we are prone to miscommunications. Sometimes I've tried to talk to someone about some subject matter and I have been unable to get my point across and I finally, after a number of attempts, reword it and state it differently and they look at me kind of dumbstruck and say, well, why didn't you just say it like that in the first place? So just FYI, this morning you have a guy in front of you that doesn't communicate well and he doesn't like it when people look at him. So (laughs) we're off to a good start. Or sometimes someone will be talking to me and I'll need to be listening, but I'll kind of check out and just go to the head nod, yeah, without knowing at all what they're saying. I never do that with any of you, but um, it does happen. Being vague or confusing or hard to follow is not a desirable trait in communication. 
Yet this morning, we're going to be in the parables of Jesus that were intentionally vague and intentionally confusing. But what I want you to listen for today in the midst of these parables of a, of a number of things that I hope and pray that we will listen for and listen to, is I want us to ask this question, what if in the means of communicating, what if the means of communicating, in this case parables, is part of the message that Jesus is communicating to those who are around him and to us today? You see, here in Mark's gospel, Jesus is illustrating the coming of the kingdom of God with parables. And these three parables that we're going to see this morning are the last of the parables in Mark's gospel. Now, if you're unfamiliar, parables are simply illustrations of a point that a speaker is trying to make. So a speaker is trying to communicate a point, and uh, the speaker will give a parable to serve uh, to to illustrate the point or to serve to give uh, further clarity. And oftentimes, parables serve in one of two ways. They either uh, enlighten the listener to the point that the speaker is making, or they serve to obscure the listener's understanding of the point that the speaker is making, thus making it more confusing. And so as we walk through these parables, I urge you, listen carefully. And hopefully, by God's grace, you will hear why as we go. You see, up to this point in Mark's gospel, Jesus' ministry has consisted of public teaching, of healings, of uh, even things like casting out demons. But the thing that he's beginning to teach those who are gathered around him and those who are beginning to follow him uh, is that there is even more that he has come to do than to do healings and cast out demons and teach from time to time. All that he is doing is actually anticipatory of something far greater that he will do and that he will bring about. And that thing that he will bring about is the kingdom of God. You see, in his life up to this point, as people gather in his life, as they gather around him, they're getting the first taste, the first maybe nibbles of something that they're starting to see in Jesus. It's like the appetizer. But now in his teaching here, he is preparing them for the full feast of the coming kingdom of God. And he is preparing you and me as well. So we must listen well in order that we might understand Jesus' identity and work, that we might understand how he is building his kingdom, and that we might know that his kingdom will reach fullness of size and scope. Let me repeat that again. We must listen well to these parables in order that we might properly understand Jesus' identity and work, that we might understand how he is building his kingdom, And that we might know that his kingdom will ultimately reach its fullness of size and scope. So before we get going, what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God simply stated is the reign of God over his creation and over his people. His holiness, his majesty, his redeeming power are all visible in God's reign over his people. And his people, those whom he has redeemed and brought to himself, their hearts have been set aflame in gladness in him and in his presence. The kingdom of God is the story of God dwelling with his people in his creation for their good and for his glory. So in these three parables, we're going to see three things about the kingdom of God. The mystery of entering into the kingdom of God, the unmistakable growth of the kingdom of God, and the triumphant final reign of the kingdom of God. 
The mystery of entering into the kingdom of God. First parable here. The key to grasping this first parable is to understand what this lamp in this parable signifies. So look at the text here in verse 21. Jesus says to those who are listening, to those gathered around, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? So in this parable, what is Jesus saying or communicating? Well, I think that the lamp here in this parable that Jesus is speaking of, I think the lamp is Jesus himself. And of course, as we consider the kingdom of God, Jesus is inextricably linked to his kingdom. And so the coming of Jesus, in one sense, uh, as, we, as we've walked through in Mark up to this point, inaugurates the coming of the kingdom. And it provides this, this means by which we anticipate the kingdom. And so two, two reasons why I think this lamp is Jesus, just for us to file away, make note of these if you like. Throughout the Old Testament, there's imagery of God being a lamp or a light for his people. And I think Jesus now has come as that lamp, as that light. And secondly, we see a lamp being brought in or arriving on the scene here. Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl? So it's coming. It wasn't there. Now it's here. The lamp has arrived like Jesus has come to earth. And so strangely, the mystery of entering into the kingdom of God is visible in the entrance of Jesus into his creation. Jesus says to them, do you bring a lamp in to put it under a bowl or a bed? Don't you put it on its stand? And then he says in verse 22, for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. Whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. Jesus has come to bring his kingdom. And what he appears to be communicating about himself is that while he's traveling, while he's this traveling teacher and healer, and yes, he's a bit of a nuisance thus far to the Jewish authorities of his day, He's really quite insignificant to the affairs of the world or even the Roman Empire of that day and time. The very kingdom of God that will find its consummation with people from every tribe, nation, and tongue gathered around the throne where his presence is the light of the kingdom. This kingdom up to this point has had an inauspicious beginning and entrance into the world. Jesus is saying what you guys have seen is just a foretaste to something so much greater. The one that they had seen up to this point who healed the sick and the diseased. He will do even greater in giving perfect healing to all who are citizens of his kingdom. That this perfect healing, this perfect wellness that stretches across all of eternity will reach to the point that not one citizen of his kingdom will ever be touched by so much as even a cough or a sore throat. The one who these had seen up to this point teach crowds and preach the word of God to them and confound the scribes and the Pharisees with his vast and infinite wisdom. His wisdom will, yes, even be all the more visible as the manifold wisdom of God is made known in the worship of the church in his kingdom throughout eternity. And the one that these who were listening to Jesus had seen bringing even the physically dead back to life. This one will do even greater in causing the spiritually dead to become eternally alive. See, the mystery of entering into the kingdom is that first the king has entered into his creation. But also the mystery of entering into the kingdom of God is visible in our hearing Jesus. So this coming into the world that he does, and now we look at our entrance into the kingdom and read verses uh, 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 23 through 25. 
So if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more, and whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. So how do you, how do I, how have we, if we are followers of Jesus Christ who have been born again, how do we enter the kingdom of God? We enter through the mysterious manner of hearing. Jesus' exhortation to those listening and to you and me in these three verses actually illustrates the divine mystery of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. Look at this with me. How do you get ears to hear, as verse 23 says? So he's talking about this lamp that's coming. He's giving them this, this forewarning, this parable saying what is coming. The lamp is going to have the, have the uh, bowl taken off of it so that his glory might, might shine and radiate. And he's wanting them to see it, to grasp it. And he says, you must have ears to hear. How do you get these ears to hear? God must give you such ability to hear. He must give light and life to His words in a manner by which they grab hold of you. This divine sovereignty of God in giving ears to hear is illustrated in the manner by which the same Gospel message is a means whereby some hear and they respond in faith in a way that is perhaps even unexplainable to them apart from the power and the work of God. Well, the person sitting right next to them it just falls on deaf ears. And they view it as of nothing of importance or nothing of significance or nothing of, wor- of worth with their time or their examination. He must give light and life to, the, to His words in order that they grab a hold of us. But you also see our responsibility in verses 24 and 25 or the responsibility Jesus gives His listeners here where He's actually uh, pulling from an older Jewish uh, proverb or idiom that would have been familiar to Jesus' audience. And so He tells them, consider carefully what you hear. And then you see this unique language in verse 24. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more, but whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. That is properly confusing. That's properly disorienting in a way. But here's what this idiom or this proverb is saying. Listen to this. Either your understanding, your resolve, your desire to listen to Jesus and His words will drive you to life everlasting in His kingdom, or your carelessness and deafness and even casualness and flippancy towards Jesus will even cause what you think you know, as verse 25 says, to be snatched away from you when all is said and done in final judgment. This is why Scripture reading and preaching are central to the worship of the church. And they're not to be approached casually. We are entrusting ourselves to this promise every time we open the Word of God and sit under it. Do you realize that? We are banking on some kind of supernatural work of God in His people through His Word. And week by week, we know that God works in His people through this very supernatural act as He reveals the glory of Jesus Christ to us through His Word. He lifts the bowl off the lamp 
And as he shows us Christ transforming his people through his word, through speaking it into our ears and transforming us into Christ's likeness week by week by week by week. And so consider your heart posture as you prepare for worship each week. Or consider your heart posture in general as you consider how you approach God's word. And I urge you to pursue it vigorously as Jesus urged those who were listening to him. With the measure you use, you put in the intensity, you'll get it back. You put in the energy, you put in the resolve, you put in the clarity that this word is central to my life. In fact, I don't have life apart from this word. And you will get it back 100-fold. So maybe pray week by week as we gather for worship. Pray for the Word of God as it's preached. Pray for, your, for Cody and for uh, anyone who fills this pulpit that God would use their words to give ears to hear. That He would open eyes to the glories of Christ. This just struck me so clearly as I prepared this sermon this week. It can become so casual, so commonplace, the gathering for the church for worship, that we lose sight of the absolutely supernatural component that is involved in this. There is nothing that I say to you today that has no power if it is not coming from this word. In fact, I can only do damage if I say things that are not coming from this word. There is nothing I can add to it or say to it that would increase it in power or enhance it in its wonder. Pray for those who have the solemn responsibility of preaching, that God's Word would radiate through us and radiate through our church. This just struck me and opened my eyes to this as I prepared. So this clarity, this oddness of Jesus, that you enter the kingdom through hearing. So how does this happen? You hear the Word of God. You hear the Gospel, the story of Jesus's coming, his life, his death, his resurrection, his death for your sins, and his resurrection and his offer of new life, and something about that causes it to sink in. Something about that causes it to click, maybe over the course of time, as your eyes are open to the word, and as you begin to hear it more and more and more and more. And so I ask you today, if you are here with us, and you are exploring Christianity, I ask you one simple question. Have you closely, carefully listened to Jesus. Perhaps you're skeptical. Perhaps you have many, many, many questions. That's okay. Come and get those questions answered. Ask the Lord to answer your questions through His Word. And think about it like this. If you think there is even a 2% chance that there is some merit to what Jesus is saying here. Don't you think that you owe it to yourself to investigate it and listen to it closely and check it out just to be sure? These words of Jesus are an exhortation to all of us today that those who listen carefully, who listen relentlessly, will see the kingdom of God both in foretaste in this life as well as in full experience for all of eternity. But those who give a passing listening and have an approach of not wanting Jesus to ask too much of them will find the kingdom to be obstructed by their own disbelief and their own disinterest. May God give us ears to hear, and may we listen carefully to this Jesus.
Next, Jesus uses two parables to each describe different aspects of the growth of the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God, the rule and reign with His people in His creation for His glory and for their gladness and good. The first parable to illustrate the kingdom of God is a parable of process, how the kingdom of God grows, how the kingdom of God comes about. And the second is a parable of contrast. The kingdom of God begins as this and will find its completion as this. doesn't say exactly how it will get from here to here, but it's a parable of contrast. So a parable of process and then a parable of contrast. Read verse 26 through 29 with me. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. I love this parable because the emphasis on this parable is on the sureness of the seed to grow until it reaches its fullness. The man scatters the seed and he continues to go about his business, but he doesn't know nor can he explain how exactly it is that the seed grows. It's a mystery to him. He is quite powerless and incapable of bringing about the growth of the seed on his own. In fact, in this parable, you notice he doesn't even water the seed. He just scatters. And then it's all about the seed and the sureness that it will grow. If you were to illustrate the growth of the kingdom of God, you might would perhaps describe it as a massive tower being built or a mighty empire expanding its borders, but not many of us would describe it expanding as a simple seed that is growing in your garden. This parable is so fascinating because it's in that simple appearance, this simple illustration, which appears to be so unremarkable It is in the unremarkable that God gets glory for the remarkable growth of his kingdom. I think he makes it pretty unflashy in a number of ways so that he is the one that gets the glory. The strange paradox of this parable, immediately after Jesus' urgent warning for us to listen intensely, is that this parable basically says, wait in faith. So the first one, listen intensely. Second one, wait in faith. It's a seed. It will grow. You might not even notice it's growing, but just wait. These two are not opposed to one another as if one calls for action and another calls for inaction, as if one calls for faith and another one doesn't call for faith. Rather, one parable gives us our clear responsibility, and then the next parable immediately encourages us that the growth of the kingdom is 100% absolutely sure in God's hands and in his hands alone. You see, brothers and sisters, your growth as a Christian, as a believer, and even the growth of our church, and even the global growth of the kingdom of God, does not rest on your shoulders or mine. We have clear responsibility to faithfully listen to Christ, but the growth of the kingdom, and the growth of the Christian, and the growth of the church, ultimately rests upon Christ who does the growing. So what does this produce in us? If the kingdom's growth is sure... What this does do is inform how we pray and even why we pray. Because we recognize that we don't have the power in of ourselves to bring it about. 
We pray for supernatural work of God's word taking root. We pray for the seed to grow. And in fact, we recognize that as we entrust ourselves to God in prayer, submitting ourselves under his word, trusting in his promise in this, we recognize that if, 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 if it appears to be uh, growing slowly or not growing as quickly as you would like, then that is a means even whereby God might be growing you as he draws you to deeper and deeper prayer. Helplessness is a good thing before God. Desperation is acceptable and even appropriate before God. God is at work as He grows you. And as that slowness of His work in you draws you into prayer and into His Word. Knock on that door of His grace repeatedly. And knock and knock and knock. Maybe not until you get the exact answer you are looking for. But until you get the exact answer that you need. Which is more and more and more of your God. Caring for you. Growing you. Ministering to you. Each and every step of the way. See, if the kingdom's growth is sure, this informs how we view our own growth. New Christian, your goal in your sanctification or your growth as a follower of Jesus is not fastness, but faithfulness. You must know that growth in the Christian life is something that is steady, but not severe. It is severe in that Christ calls us to take up our cross and give everything in following him. But following Christ will be, one, uh, will be a life marked of frustration, not over anything that he does, or not over his unjust care for you, but frustration over how far you have to grow. And every time you think you are getting further and further down the road, you will see that there is more and more road to go. But you will also see that the whole of the Christian life is not God showing you how strong you are. Rather, it's him showing you how faithful he is in growing you. And the school of Christ is one that we never graduate from. We are all in this boat of little seeds that God is growing and of recognizing that we are all in this boat of His seed that He's growing as His kingdom. Graduation from the school of listening to Christ only comes when we depart from this life and go from hearing Him through His Word to being in His presence and seeing His face. Where kingdoms of the earth have been wrought by revolutions and all of the military might and strength that humans and nations can muster, the kingdom of God simply grows like a seed that is sprouting and cannot be stopped. Its power lies in nothing but the same powerful God that spoke creation into existence and today guides his people. That promise of the kingdom of God's growth is is this steady climb from Jesus teaching his disciples and audiences in Mark 4 and this climb all the way to the point that today there are millions if not billions of citizens of the kingdom of God stretching from Hingham to the Himalayas and everywhere in between. Do you recognize the astounding reality that the kingdom of God has been breaking forth as Jesus said it would for 2,000 years? Like seed just sprouting up from the ground. We are 2,000 years further down the road than Jesus' audience in this passage. And we have these two millennia 
of evidence of the quiet yet visible work of God building His kingdom as His church clings to His Word, shares His Gospel, plants churches, and sends missionaries out to the ends of the earth. And all of this reliance not upon anything in of ourselves or any strength of man, but all of this reliance upon and even hungry and desperate for the faithful power of God to be at work in building His kingdom. Read this again with me. Verse 26, He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, and then the full kernel in the head. And pause, and what happens when the kingdom reaches its fullness? Look at verse 29. As soon as the grain is ripe, He puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. This concept of separating the wheat from the chaff is illustrative of the promised judgment of God at the end of the age. When the kingdom is grown, when it is complete, He will separate the kingdom from this world in salvation for His kingdom and in judgment upon the world and all who are not in the kingdom. All who have not listened to Jesus, you may say, will reap the sickle of God's judgment. At the, time, at the fullness of time, God will bring salvation and judgment finally and decisively as His kingdom is set apart for the glory of His name. And yes, all who are not in Christ will receive the just judgment due to their sin. And in judgment of the glory of the holy triune God will be made visible. As we have seen throughout Scripture, salvation and judgment are mingled together. And our Lord mingles these together even in this parable of the growth of the kingdom. Perhaps as we read this, we all would be wise to take to heart the warning Jesus just gave us to consider carefully what we hear. For whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. How well do you listen? The kingdom of God, entrance into it is mysterious in Christ's coming and in Christ's calling us to enter through hearing and believing. The kingdom of God is unmistakable in its growth, even if it is not impressive before our eyes. And the kingdom of God finally is triumphant in its final reign and glory. Now we have a parable of contrast. We have a parable that shows the inception and the completion of the kingdom. Verse 30, again he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. You've got this small little mustard seed that Jesus says, he doesn't say exactly the process that it's going to take. That was the previous parable. But he says, you're going to see at one point small mustard seed, and then you're going to see this gigantic plant, easily the largest of all the plants in the garden. This parable of promised completion raises a question. How in the world is this sure? 
How in the world is the coming of the kingdom of Christ, the final uh, uh, completion of the kingdom of Christ, guaranteed? Jesus seems to speak with a level of certainty and finality, and I'm not sure how he gets there. Is it possible that Christ and his kingdom will one day be stamped out? We can look at history and we can see ways in which, yeah, okay, the kingdom has grown, but we can also look at history and see ways in which violence against the church rages and increases all the more. Even today, this very day, at least 10 people taken out in bombings outside of a church in Indonesia. Violence and persecution against the church is only increasing globally. Around us, churches slowly departing from the gospel in something that, absolutely, that actually looks very opposite to the growth of the seed. It looks like the withering and the death of the plant. And you think, I see all of this around me, and yet Jesus speaks as if this is certain. But Jesus, I don't know if you're reading the same news headlines I'm reading. I don't know if you're going about the difficult week I'm going about. There seems to be a gap between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of God. I'm not sure how we bridge that gap. It's easy for you to sit there, Jesus, and say, here's what it's going to be. I need you to help me get from here to here. Get me from the mustard seed to the final completion. Remember the first parable and the lamp that is covered for a time in Jesus' earthly ministry. And then remember the second parable and the promised growth of the seed and even the judgment in separating the kingdom from the unbelieving world. The promise of the fulfillment of these parables lies in the fulfillment of Christ and his work and his work alone. You see, what Christ is presenting to us and what Christ's life is going to testify of and what the rest of the Gospel of Mark is going to show us is that the one who would fully rule and reign over the fully grown mustard seed kingdom arrived not on a throne, but in a manger. Not long after these events in Mark 4, kingdoms of the earth nailed him to a cross, thinking that they were snuffing out a religious insurgent, unaware that they were actually ushering in his kingdom through his own blood. You see, he came in order to redeem and purchase citizens that will dwell in his kingdom, and the truth is that he endured that sickle of judgment in place of all who will hear him and look to him in repentance and belief. When his body was laid in the ground, that seed was buried only to soon burst out of the ground and to begin a work whereby he is supernaturally growing his kingdom, not through the power of man, but through the promise of his supernatural faithfulness. The light that was covered and even blown out at the cross shines brightly, unobstructed, and will only be more visibly bright before us when we see him more fully and completely in eternity in the kingdom. You see, the kingdom has weathered the storms of persecution and threats from without and the threats of uh, heresy and abandonment of the faith from within. The kingdom is sailing forward on rough seas, but she is sailing forward in certainty. The kingdom stretches across the face of the globe and the kingdom stretches across thousands of years as we look back in the rearview mirror and stretches forward into eternity that lies ahead. And that eternity beckons us to listen carefully and it is an eternity that shows us a king who is not hidden but is fully visible in full splendor and majesty 
reigning over his people. You see, we are years ahead of the audience in Mark 4, but we also are not in a position of completeness. We're 2,000 years ahead of them, but we have trillions of years ahead of us, and the call upon us is to hear the promises that we share as citizens of this kingdom that Jesus is telling us to listen to. Jesus was calling his audience to prepare for citizenship in a kingdom that they did not quite know, uh, that they did not quite know, and he calls us to the same. He calls us to entrust our futures to him and to find all glory in him. He calls us to acknowledge and to submit under and to prepare ourselves for that future kingdom by submitting ourselves under his rule and his reign in this life. He calls us to pray for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. He calls us to set our hearts on him and the promise that he is reigning now and that he will come for his kingdom and he shall be with them and the kingdom of Christ will stand triumphant. Presidents and prime ministers, kings and dictators, legislative bodies and supreme courts, citizens and exiles, all will bow before the king in worship as his kingdom dwarfs any and all kingdoms that this world could ever muster. The way in which Jesus prepares us for eternity is by giving us a picture of all that he has done and he will do to set our eyes not on the things of this world, but on the things of his glory for all of eternity. We will dwell in a holy city of God in the new heavens and the new earth. This parable is given to us to see that it is growing and that it is coming. Death and mourning will be no more. We will drink freely from the water of life. The city will be lit up by the very glory of God. It will be free from all evil. And as citizens of the kingdom of God, we too will help in ruling over God's creation. And chiefly and triumphantly, we will dwell with God and experience perfect fellowship with Him. He will be in the city of God with His people, and the city will have no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God will be its light, and its lamp will be Jesus Christ Himself. Do you listen well? The lamp has come, but it will be uncovered process is already unfolding. The seed is growing in our finite minds, and with our temporary perspectives, we may not see it as clearly as we like. And the promise of the fully grown kingdom is there, but in order to see it, we must first listen for it. Look at verse 33 as we conclude. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. Do you hear the grace of Christ in verse 33? With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. This is actually the tenth time in Mark chapter 4 alone that Jesus has emphasized the importance of hearing or of listening well. And we see his grace and that he spoke to those who were gathered as much as they could understand. And as you listen, take heart in how Mark concludes this section with verse 34. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. He gives ears to hear And he graciously gives understanding to those who are near to him. Listen 
Listen carefully. And listen so that by His grace, you may one day not only listen to Him, but you may see Him in His kingdom. He's taken you there by causing you to listen. Let's pray. Lord God, Your wisdom is greater than ours. We have but a taste of Your kingdom and it is enough to satisfy us and it is enough to sustain us until we enter into it. And so Lord, I pray that You would help us to leave and to ponder and to reflect upon the manner by which You minister to Your people and that is by speaking to them. And so Lord, help us to listen Help us to anticipate and help us to yearn and to praise you as we prepare for your kingdom. It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen.